It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 707, 34 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in doing whatever you want to do or plan to do or think you might do tomorrow in your landscape. All you got to do is call 404-872-0750. Chad's out in Rutledge, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Chad. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine. How can I help, Chad? Well, um, called in this um to the show about a year ago okay. and i was going talking to you and trying to tell you about a tree that was in my grandmother's yard i kept calling it a spanish plum spanish plum you had a guest on the show at the time and was having difficulty identifying and you told me to call you back if i ever found it <laughs> and found a year later you it. must have found it chad i did i did it is actually a loquat loquat yeah sure 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 the plum name that you gave me a year ago should have sort of triggered that yeah okay loquat it's not common in atlanta anyway because it gets frozen and then the fruit usually the flowers and everything come on it during the winter time and once the flowers are frozen off you got no fruit and so it's an ornamental tree i guess but you never get the fruit that people do in south georgia right but it, the fruit is fantastic yeah. though i mean uh, at least I remember that, um, we'll say 30-plus years ago. Um, but it's interesting how I come across the name. Uh, my wife and I like to visit Charleston, South Carolina, sure. quite often. And um, was going down, there's an alley way down there that the tour guys were going down. And, and I said, thank you, thank you, that's it, that's it, that's the, that's, that's the tree. And, and uh, I asked the tour guide, and he said, yeah, that's a loquat tree. I was yeah. like, oh, great. Yeah. Well, you, and let him know. So, you got in a place where it's um, more common, and they know the name for it, loquat, L-O-Q-U-A-T, loquat. Yes, sir. How about that? I've got friends who have one uh, off of Barcliffe Road here in Atlanta, and they will occasionally send me emails saying, "Well, I didn't get any loquat this year. All the free, all the flowers got frozen off in January." But right. again, you can in a sheltered place, you can keep the tree alive. It's not an ugly tree by any means. It does have fruit in places where it doesn't get cold in the wintertime. Loquat in Atlanta, more of an ornamental than anything else. Absolutely, because this was down in Donaldsonville, Georgia, which yeah. is down at the Florida, um, down, yeah, uh, yeah. Georgia border, so yeah. way down south. So that's where it was. Okay, a little knowledge is a gracious and beautiful thing, so I'm glad you found <laughs> out. Well, that's all I have is a little knowledge, so thank you very much, Mr. Walton. <laughs> I'm the same way. Thanks for calling, Chad. <laughs> yes, sir. We'll see Bye. you, man. Bob is in Lilburn, and <laughs> Bob wants to see if I have any knowledge about, about his moss. Hey, Bob, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help, my friend? Walter, when is the best time to apply moss control to a fescue lawn? First, I think the question is, why does the moss love your fescue lawn? What are you giving in the environment of your lawn that makes the moss want to grow and the fescue not? Well, I, 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 have, your, uh, I have you on my computer right now telling me why. If you look on the computer, at least one place in there, I say that the reason that moss grows in a fescue lawn is because there's either too much shade, too much water, or the soil is just so hard that it, grass can't grow there. 
Well, and we have lots of trees. Yeah, so you got shade. That, that's the main reason. And the shade causes the ground to stay moist most of the time because maybe there's some clay in the soil, so it stays hard. And those are all the things that fescue hates. And you're given a great environment for moss there. The moss is what's, what nature wants to grow. So uh, if you want to put moss out, if you want to use one of the moss control uh, products, moss out is one brand name I see at Pike all the time. Um, putting it down, I guess... I don't think it has any effect at all on seed germination, but I think that you could put it down now and uh, plant fescue seed in a month from now. But read the label. Make sure I'm right on that. I don't think there's any inhibition of seed germination, but you got to read the label to find out, Bob. Well, does, does the outside temperature have anything to do with when you apply it? Like, Not like to my knowledge, no. 36 and uh, 51. Well, 51. Most, most things, most horticultural um, uh, and herbicidal things need a little bit of warmth. So maybe 30 degrees, 40 degrees like we're going to have today is a little, little cool for this uh, moss to be controlled. I guess it would be okay to wait until it's 50-some-odd degrees in the afternoons, pretty, pretty consistently 50 degrees for the next week, and put your moss out out then. Well, that's what I need to know. And uh, I, I had talked to uh, one of the manufacturers, and uh, uh, I, I wasn't—I didn't understand them too well. And they mentioned something about the average temperature outside. Okay, that they guess that sort of goes in line with what I was just saying. When it gets above fifty to fifty-five, that's when plants begin to photosynthesize pretty effectively and anything above 55 they're going to town photosynthesizing and moss is a plant and so in order to absorb that uh, chemical that's in the moss out product then it has to be growing and so above 50 or 55 degrees I guess that makes sense to me, Bob. Bob, I got to go. We got other people waiting in line. Long line here at 713. Rick comes to us next. Rick from Buford, Georgia. Hey, Rick, good morning. Walter, how are you? I'm fab. What's going on? I have a Bermuda lawn, right? And I've been on your website. I'm on, I'm on there right now, and I'm a bit confused about the two terms: pre-emergence and uh, weed and feed. Got it. I think you say about weed and feed, you really maybe it's a convenience thing, but you're doing two things there that probably should be done at different times. That's exactly right. If you put a weed and feed on a Bermuda lawn, let's say right now, you're just feeding the weeds. That's all you're feeding because the Bermuda is dormant. It's not doing anything, and any fertilizer you put down just becomes weed food, and the weeds grow faster and faster, even though it's supposedly a weed control and a feed, a fertilizer in the same bag. I think you'll find that feeding the weeds is not the greatest thing to be doing this time of year. Okay. Well, should I be putting down some type of pre-emergence now? Yeah, I think if you don't intend to put any seed on your Bermuda lawn, then the only seed that's going to be around is weed seed, and we want to keep them from germinating. So that's why you put a pre-emergent anytime between the 1st of March and the last of March is pretty good, depending on how you think the weather is going to be. It's pretty pretty cold, and if Kirk is to be trusted, I think it's going to be still on the chilly side for this part of spring. And if that's the case, then you could wait till the middle of March without any problem. Okay. The, ra- and, the real way yeah. to find out, if you really want to know how to find out exactly when to put a pre-emergent down, um, there's a website called georgiaweather.net. has a map of the state of Georgia and weather stations all across the state that tells you exactly what the soil temperatures are. Okay. So when soil temperatures at georgiaweather.net are, for your neighborhood, are above about 53 degrees consistently, four or five days, that's when crabgrass is just about to germinate. 
when it gets up to the high 50s, that's when crabgrass seed all says, yippee, it's time to wake up for the summertime here in Rick's yard. But if you, when you look at the georgiaweather.net website and have seen that it's 52 degrees pretty consistently, it's going to be 53 in a week, 54 right after that, that says time for Rick to get out and put the pre-emergent out. Okay. Is, are most of those applications the liquid system that you hook up to your hose? I, you know, I like the granular stuff because that's what I've always used. Halts and barricade and maybe two or three other granular type things. But that's what I've always used. The liquid stuff, I suppose, could work just fine, too. Okay. Halts right. and barricade. Barricade, halts. Um, Lesco has one that's 007 plus pre-emergent. That's fine with me because the first number, no nitrogen or no phosphorus yeah. involved in the whole yeah. thing. Potassium's just fine. Okay. All right. Thanks much. It's great talking to you, Rick. See you. Fifteen minutes past the hour. We got Melvin in Austell who joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Melvin. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm right fabulous. How can I help? Walter, I got some chicken, chicken manure. Right and and I was wondering where, where, where can I apply it? Where, where can I put it in the ground and till where, it up? Where did you get this fine chicken manure, Melvin? I got some chickens. <laughs> they are your <laughs> very own chickens. All right. Um, I don't know if there's a specific time that you can or cannot put chicken manure down. My father, we would put it out in the fall because that's when you cleaned out the chicken houses. And yeah. so we had several manure spreaders loaded up, ready to go, and put it all over the pasture. But yeah. if you have a garden, is that what you're going to put the chicken manure on, Melvin? Yes, yes. I think what I would do is sometime in mid to late March, we can see the weather will be warming up, and almost into April you can see I'll be planting tomatoes and beans and squash and things like that. So I would put the chicken manure out about two weeks before you're going to plant your garden. So just look into the future and say, I'm going to be planting on the middle of April on tax day. And so the end of March, I'll put the manure down and dig it in a little bit into the soil, and it'll be ready to go when the seeds come to be put in. Uh, and uh, okay, thank you, Walter. All right, good talking to you, Melvin. Thanks for calling. Right. It is seven, almost seven eighteen. It's seven eighteen. Let's call it this morning. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News ninety five five at AM seven fifty WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Miller's weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News ninety five five at AM seven fifty WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. Thank you, Scott and Axel, for choosing our music this morning and making us laugh. I laughed out loud. Looking for something to do on a dreary overcast Saturday? A quick weather update from Ackerman Security. Today's the day to rake your leaves and make your compost pile. Ashley and Scott have been thinking of things you could do today that doesn't involve planting anything. So you could rake leaves, put them in the compost pile, or if you already have a compost pile, you could turn the compost pile over a couple of times to mix things up in it. Uh, cloudy skies all day, afternoon highs, uh, high 40s, maybe blah weather this afternoon. Tonight, cloudy skies are going to be here again. Overnight lows in the low 30s. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes. And don't forget that tomorrow you can pick up your Sunday copy of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They're going to have a great investigation about the top aides on the governor's staff. They got big raises and nobody else in government did. We're going to find out more about that tomorrow. 
in the Sunday edition of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We had a caller just a minute ago, Martha, who had a ginkgo tree and was smelling some bad smells around her ginkgo tree. She dropped off. I want to talk a little bit about ginkgos, that if you have a ginkgo tree, you will know when it's about 20, 25 maybe feet tall, whether it is male or female, and you probably won't know before that. But the way you tell a female ginkgo tree from a male ginkgo tree is the female drops these rancid, stinky, yucky, you don't want to smell it, fruit during the late fall, very early winter. And they look like little plums. They're about oh, a couple of inches, maybe an inch and a half long, and they have a skin around them. And if you step on them and get it on your shoes, you just don't want to take those shoes indoors because it smells so bad. So when you plant a ginkgo tree, if you buy from a nursery, they have grafted male trees. They took a bud off of a male tree and grafted it onto a rootstock. And so you know that if you buy it from a nursery, in almost all cases, it will be a male, non-fruiting, hey, good, non-fruiting tree. And that's what you want to have for the ginkgo trees is male, non-fruiting trees. If you just buy one from a you know, side-of-the-road nursery kind of place that can't guarantee their plants, then you could have the possibility, a 50-50 chance, of having a female tree. And if you have a female tree, you will regret it eventually, someday, because those fruit are stinky-winky. Ashley was uh, bringing back memories from college days. And where did you see ginkgos, Ashley? All along Broad Street in downtown Athens yeah. when I was a freshman in college, I wrote home to my mom and said, these trees are bright yellow. They're gorgeous. And did you smell anything? No. And you and I were talking, I can't smell Bradford pears either. Uh-huh. So luckily, maybe that's a, a good curse. I yeah, If you can't smell Bradford pear, a lot of people don't like the smell of Bradford pear. Ginkgo trees having the fruit. Of course, in downtown Athens, sometimes there's stinky smells no matter where you are, the alleyways and places where the, the freshmen have been the night before. Yes, it would smell pretty bad there. Another place in Athens that my mother actually witnessed the same tree when she went to college that I witnessed when I went to college over by Sewell Hall on uh, South Campus. Sewell Hall had this enormous, beautiful ginkgo tree. It was a male, didn't have any fruit. But in the fall, if you've ever had a ginkgo, you know one of the characteristics of the tree is that it drops its leaves, almost all, 100% of them, in one or two days. Just say, it all goes to the ground. And that ginkgo tree in Sewell Hall would drop its leaves one day and just have this golden carpet of leaves underneath it there. That, and the leaves are that fan shape, yeah, right? Yeah, that fan shape. Maidenhair tree is another name for it. But the ginkgo tree is a great tree to have as long as it is a guy, a male tree, because the female, wah, stinky, stinky, stinky. It's 728 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 736, 35 degrees outside. You may be curious what Ashley and I do during the breaks, what we do. Do we sit and study our questions to make sure we have the right answers? No, we do not. We watch the Berry College Eagle Cam. It is so great. If you have not watched the eagles, the eagle nest at Berry College, it is the most 
fascinating thing. <laughs> better than cats on the internet. Better than cats. A lot better. You have there's a live camera on a nest of eagles. Eagle pair on Berry College campus of near Rome, and she laid two eggs and hatched both of them out. And now you can see them in real time as she sort of shifts around and tries to keep them warm. And the day before yesterday, it was pretty snowy up there, evidently. And I wanted to get up that tree and put a little electric blanket over them to keep them warm. But the eagles know what they're doing. They've got two healthy babies, and every once in a while, you see the uh, dismembered corpse of a squirrel or a dove or something in the nest, and she reaches over and pecks the peaks of it and sort of sticks it underneath her breast, and one of the babies reaches his head out and gobbles it up. But if you have not yet seen the Berry College Eagle Cam, if you want to look at that, you'll see exactly what Ashley and I are doing <laughs> during the breaks. Elsie is in Snellville, and Elsie joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Elsie, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help, friend? Uh, battling with a St. Augustine yard that it, uh, back in late August, it started that fire blight in the yard mm. uh, in circles and, and it you know just died out. I, I tried to treat it with a fungicide, but it just didn't seem like it would stop it. Uh-huh. And uh, of course, Finally, fall came on and it just it stopped. I don't know if pre-emergence and stuff I'd put out uh, yesterday, maybe, and also put out some more fungicide right. uh, to try to stop it. But do I need to bag every time I cut? I try to keep the fun. You know, when you cut and you have some foliage is a little taller, and other yeah. you leave a residue behind. You know, get that up. Don't leave that on the ground. Let me let me give you another possibility, LC. I know that it looked like it was a fungus, and it could have been a fungus that was attacking your St. Augustine lawn. But more and more often, I'm becoming aware that chinch bugs, and chinch bugs is a terrible problem on St. Augustine in South Georgia, Florida, everywhere else in Texas where they grow St. Augustine commonly, and they preemptively, everybody who has a St. Augustine lawn almost every year preemptively puts down an insecticide during June is about right to control the chinch bugs there and their damage to a St. Augustine lawn is exactly what you described, a small spot that gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the population of these insects grows and goes across the lawn. So right now when it's cold in late February there's hardly any way to find chinch bugs because they're hidden their eggs are way down close to the soil surface and you just won't see them or find them. But Here's what I would do. Go ahead and put a fungicide out, but not right now. The St. Augustine is not doing anything. It's dormant. It's brown. There's no real need to put a fungicide out now. But when the St. Augustine is 100% greened up, and that'll be sometime in mid to late May, put a fungicide application down. And then in, I want to say the middle to the late part of June, look and see if you see any spots of dead grass that seem to be growing very gradually, but it looks almost like drought damage to the St. Augustine, but you water it and nothing happens. And if you want to find uh, St. Augustine chinch bugs during June and July, the easiest way to do that is to get a, um, a vacuum cleaner that's got a little hose on it that you can do you know, crevices and cracks and things like that, and put a piece of nylon pantyhose over the end so that you can secure it in place with a rubber band and go outside and suck up some of the ground around this dead spot that you see in the St. Augustine and then dump it out on a, on a white piece of paper. And if they're little critters, <laughs> crawling around in there, then you have chinch bugs, not a disease. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm. 
So okay. this may not be a clear, you know, absolute has to be fungus problem that you have. It could be insects giving you the same symptoms they'll see. In other words, they were that it'll look like the fire blight with the chinks bugs. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And drought damage too. When I've had the chinch bugs on my Saint Augustine, the first thing I noticed was it just looked like the grass was was dry, was droughty, did not look quite right. It was on the edge of my uh, Saint Augustine lawn next to my driveway. And when I finally sort of thought, well, this could be chinch bugs too, and I went out with my vacuum cleaner and vacuumed it all up. Sure, it was chinch bugs. They were all over the place out there. And by that time, when the damage was seen, it's too late to to, to treat for them. You need to do it early before they really develop out of their nymphal stage in mid-June. So, all right, LC, here's your job. Fungicide when the lawn is 100% greened up, and then do a little vacuum test sometime in June, and we'll see if you have chinch bugs. If you do, call me back. We'll talk a little bit more about the insecticide that you need. All right? All right, LC, thanks for calling. we got John in Loganville who joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, John. Sure. Um, maybe eight years ago when I had a uh I had more ambition than sense. Yeah. I planted a peach tree that's now about eight years old. Right. For the first four years, it wouldn't do anything. For the last four years, I'll get peaches the size of figs, and then they just rot and fall off. Yeah, you got brown rot. Brown rot. Brown well, rot. Fabulous disease, and the symptoms are exactly what you say. A couple of years, you get fruit, and you have an idea that you'll probably get to harvest one or two peaches off the tree, and after about four years, all the fruit turns brown, falls off. That's because of standing water? It's more because uh, somebody needs to spray a fungicide on the tree when it blooms. Fungicide? Yeah. What would you suggest for a fungicide? Captan or Dacanil. Either one work fine. All right. Well, it's I think both of them are both of them are labeled for use on fruit trees, and that's important because they're fungicides that are labeled only for use on lawns that you could be endangering yourself or your family if you spray them on the on the peach trees and harvest the fruit. But Captan, read the label, make sure I'm right. Uh, Captan and Dacanil are both, I think, labeled for use on fruit trees. But the timing of the spray here's the the cool thing, John. The timing of the spray is really important because you have to get it into the flowers because that's where the infection starts is in the flowering stage of the tree. So wait until you got about I don't know 25 percent of the buds seems to be open, and that'll be what two or three weeks maybe from now. And spray it one time then, cover the whole tree with captan or dacanil, and then wait until most, if not all, of the flowers are falling, but there's a few left on the tree, spray it another time. Those well, two applications will help prevent brown rot. Well, it sounds like a fun word to say, so I'll give it a shot. I appreciate it. <laughs> Look up. Go to my website. You can see if you just type in brown rot uh, on my website, I've got good pictures of people's uh, peach and plum trees that they just turn brown and fall off. They get real sugar. They start, the sugar starts being made in the fruit, and the bacteria says, man, oh, man, look what John has done for us. <laughs> the bacteria attacks, and gone it goes. Well, thank you for your suggestion. Sure, John. Thanks for calling. All right. One of my friends, Willie Chance, is an extension agent down in South Georgia. He says, if you buy a peach tree, you better buy a sprayer in the other hand. If you go out of the nursery with a peach tree in one hand, there better be a sprayer in the other hand because you cannot get consistent fruiting yields from a peach tree without spraying. That's just it. You cannot. So if you plant a peach tree, good time to plant trees. And I think somebody's going to have a 20% off sale on trees this weekend. You might want to stick around for 835. We'll find out about that. But you better be buying some fungicide or you will not have many peaches just like John did just now. Comes now, Mr. Mike from McDonough. Mike, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, man. 
Hey, how you doing, sir? I'm I'm doing great. For you real quick. Um, we got a front of our house. We got some big bushes in front of our house, and we got grass in there. And trying to get the best way to uh, like spruce it up a little bit for the springtime. I yeah. put Roundup in there, but grass comes back. And just want to get your opinion about getting rid of the grass. And then should I use pine straw or should I use um, what's that stuff called? Um, pine chips or shredded yeah. mulch, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yes, sir. Ball mulch, yes, sir. In my view, mulch can make all the difference. You can make $1,000 worth of difference if you're selling a house, if you have nicely applied, smoothly uh, put down pine straw mulch. And I think that's the first thing you ought to do, Mike. Let's go uh, get how, about getting, how about getting rid of the grass? I just spray it around up first? Or yeah, exactly. That's a good idea. Exactly. Get a, a sprayer, put some Roundup in it, or get the ready-to-use Roundup, and spray all the weeds in places where you don't want them to be, and then mulch over underneath the shrubs, underneath the trees, have nice you know, curved lines underneath the shrubbery, and the tree have a nice circle of mulch around it. Mow everything when it needs mowing in a couple of months, and, man, it looks so much nicer. Any plastic on the ground before I let you go? Plastic is uh, the devil's stuff. I do not <laughs> like plastic or weed fabric or anything like that. I think they do not do nearly what you think they will. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, Mike, because you may be wondering, why does that man not like the weed control fabric? It says right here, controls weeds. It doesn't. That's the answer. It doesn't. What happens is you maybe put Roundup on the weeds and put the weed fabric down. And within the next couple of weeks, you also put mulch, of course, on top of that black fabric to make it look pretty. But in the next couple of weeks, the mulch starts breaking down. Inevitably, mulch is going to break down in Georgia environments. And so you get this little layer of sort of organic debris on top of the weed fabric, not underneath it, but on top of it, caused by the decomposition of the mulch. And that little bitty layer is just right for weed seeds to germinate in. And so they start germinating, and by July, August sometimes, you have these little weeds about four inches tall, and they're rooted through the woven pores of your weed control fabric. And now you try to pull them up, and you pull up most of the plastic with it, it becomes a real pain in the patootie. Yes, sir. So Okay. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks Thanks for calling. Bye. Yeah, I got a lot of things I get sort of heated up about. One of them is landscape fabric. It does not nearly do the job that you think it will. And I know some people use it and try it successfully, but the real way if you have to try it and want to see if this works is to put the landscape fabric down, cover it with mulch, and then every three months or so, rake the mulch away, blow off the, uh, the landscape fabric, and then put new mulch on top of it. So you never get that little layer of decomposed chips or decomposed pine straw that the seeds can germinate in. Because once they have germinated, once the weed seeds have germinated in the mulch and gone down through that plastic uh, weed control fabric, boy, that is the end of the story. You are not going to like it trying to pull those weeds out or trying to kill them with Roundup because that always just makes a, a bad situation worse. All right, get off my little soapbox here and tell you, you, won't tell you anything more about that. But you know how I feel. Amy and Cummings is going to be with us in a few minutes to talk about cutting back her ligustrum. Kenneth has a maple tree trunk, has a bunch of holes in it. I bet I know already what is wrong with Kenneth's Kenneth's tree. And Claudius in Grayson wants to know some grass for a wet spot in his lawn. How do we put a grass down there? We'll find out about that. But right now at 748, you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade from Atlanta's Morning News on WSB. Our 24-hour news center delivers updates four times an hour all weekend. Depend on it. We'll be here Monday morning, 4.30 till 9, for breaking news and traffic and weather every six minutes. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves. 
And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. I have a 15-year-old friend, and sometimes she'll describe one of her friends talking, and she'll say, she was just all blah, 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 blah. Well, that's the weather we're going to have today. Blah, 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 blah weather. It's going to get into the mid to high 40s this afternoon tonight into, yeah, let's call it low 30s this evening. Sort of blah, 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 blah weather all day long. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Just like Amy incoming comes with us. Amy, hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How can I help? I'm tired of this blah, blah, blah weather. I'm ready for the <laughs> spring too. to get here. <laughs> Me too. What's up? I have a Lagrustum hedge that is probably about 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. I would like that thing to be down to about 5 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Can I take it down all at once that drastically? There's a lot of people who've done the same thing and said, oh, heck yeah, go to four, go to three. We don't care. Okay. Uh, Lake is Good. perfectly amenable to being pruned to just about any size, shape, height you like. And when do I need to do this? Why not this afternoon? I'll give you one more thing to do on a blah, 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 blah day. Uh, sounds good. And what sort of tool would you suggest that I use to do uh, that? How big are the limbs do you look at? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to get into some big limbs. I don't know that I can do it with a hand trimmer. Uh, probably a saw, a, a arborist saw, tree saw. I guess they have a lot of names to them. Uh, there's a bow saw that is re- reasonably not exp- very expensive you can get from hardware stores it works pretty well but even loppers i'm guessing your ligustrum is going to have two or three inch diameter limbs yeah. and loppers wouldn't be able to to get in there and cut those out so i think a saw okay saw. that's what we're going to put the mister out there doing this afternoon then <laughs> and what are you going to do pray tell amy Oh, I'll have to do the cleanup work. Oh, like every time. Like every time. He does all the hard work, you do the cleanup. Okay. Exactly. I understand. Exactly. Thanks for calling, Amy. Thank you. We'll see you soon. We got right. uh, Kenneth here. Kenneth comes to us from Lawrenceville. Hey, Kenneth, good morning. Good morning. How can I help, man? I have six maples. All five of them are perfect, but one of them is leaking. It's got <laughs> holes all around it for about a dozen feet. Yeah. Um. Well, about 12 feet up, and then you go right on some limbs, and it's doing it there, too. It's another question that there are a lot of people driving around right now listening to this show, Kenneth, and they all know the right answer, and I will confirm they know the right answer. It is, yep, yellow-bellied sapsucker. You heard a lot of people on the expressway saying, it's yellow-bellied sapsucker. I know what those holes are. It's a, a woodpecker. And what he does is comes around and pecks on the bark of trees, and the sap bleeds a little bit out, and he licks that, and then the tree stops the flow of sap after an hour or so, and he picks another little hole right beside the first and licks that for a while, and that's what happens. That's why you have all those holes. What? Do you have to come on a loose the tree? Not at all. Sometimes I've seen pecan trees that are easily 30, 40 years old, and they've, been, they've got hundreds, thousands of sapsucker holes on the main trunk and out the big limbs. They bear pecans. They look just fine. They just is rarely any damage done to them at all. Okay, so Sap what sucker. do I need to do? Just nothing? Uh, that's a great thing to do. Nothing. Yeah, that's what I like to do in the landscape, Kenneth. Nothing. You can't keep them from getting on that tree and pecking those holes. They don't hurt the tree anyway. The only time that I'd be a little concerned is if you look at the tree and see that some of those holes have been enlarged and you can see the underbark of the tree underneath it. Squirrels sometimes will look at the sapsucker and wonder what the sapsucker is getting up there on the tree and will uh, gnaw away some of the bark to get them 
some sap too. And if you got squirrels up there, it might be a good idea to cover the pecked areas with, um, I don't know, welded wire, hardware cloth, something like that. Chicken wire would be fine, just to keep the squirrels from enlarging those holes, because that eventually could turn into be a problem if you have a lot of squirrel damage after the sap sucker damage to the to the tree. Thanks for calling. We got to get out of here, Kenneth. It's 758. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. Come on, come on.